This evening we are in session number 11 in our series of studies in the book of Zechariah. Today we will be looking at Zechariah chapter 9 and Zechariah chapter 10. Now, beginning from Zechariah chapter 9, these are what is called as anonymous oracles. Why? Because it doesn't start off with a word coming to Zechariah. It doesn't start off with uh, a mention of the time that it was you know, uh, written or given to Zechariah. So these are all, you know, comes under what is called as the anonymous oracles, Zechariah chapter 9, right up till the end, Zechariah chapter 14. But they all are expanding on the themes that have already been mentioned in the night visions. The themes primarily about the Lord's judgment of the nations and as the Lord judged the nations, the Lord is also going to restore Israel back to what they lost. Okay? So these uh, chapters, if you notice, especially from 9 to 14, has a lot of uh, 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 quoting in the New Testament, especially in chapter 9. I'm sure this Sunday you would have read that verse you know, on Sunday, Palm Sunday, when you speak about you know, the king coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. There are a lot of passages from Zechariah chapter 9 onwards which have a, a reference in the New Testament. Why? Because this is the final section you know, of the prophecy of Zechariah. And in this final section, if you were to say, you know, the focus shifts you know, from what is happening to them right there after having coming back from captivity and building the temple and its walls the focus shifts into the Messiah coming again you know, on earth and it shifts even further down to the coming Messiah till the very end. So that's why in the New Testament there are references of this, uh, now these passages which were a fulfillment of biblical prophecies for his first coming and there are also references to these of fulfillment of this which will happen for the second coming. So this chapter especially and chapters onwards is preparation for the coming of the Messiah. The preparation of the coming of the Messiah. The first coming as well as the <coughs> second coming. So in the first section if you notice in the first uh, seven verses we find about you know the military exploits that will take place, you know, the name is not mentioned, but what happened through Alexander the Great, you know, who conquered that region. He thought he has conquered all that region, but God was the one who was using him, you know, to lay the neighboring nations that were around who had oppressed uh, uh, Israel. He used Alexander to bring them to ruin. Now this is an interesting thought. When you think about superpowers, you know, a person may think, I'm the boss. I'm the one who is in charge. You know, Alexander would have definitely said, I've conquered the world. <laughs> you know, but did he really conquer? Or did God use him for his purpose <coughs> to show justice for his people? Now, that's a thought, even when you think of oppression today, you can look at it from both sides. You can say, hey, what is happening? Or on the other hand, you can also see what God is doing. 
<coughs> so you have the nations that have been laid waste and a lot of um, uh, names are mentioned we will also look at uh, these uh, cities and towns how and Alexander destroyed them and the importance of these towns as well. So in verse 1 it says the burden of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach with Damascus as its resting place you know for the eyes of men especially of all the tribes of Israel are toward the Lord and Hamath also which borders on it. So each of the cities that are mentioned here, the punishments that are given to them are typical of punishments that are mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament. So the first city, Damascus, this city was to be the main target of the judgment of God through Alexander upon the capital of Syria, one of Israel's worst enemies from 900 to 722 BC. That's what happened to Damascus. What about Phoenicia in verses 2 to 4? Tyre and Sidon places in Phoenicia. Though they are very wise for Tyre built herself a fortress and piled up silver like dust and gold like the mire of the streets. Behold the Lord will dispossess her and cast her wealth into the sea and she will be consumed with fire. Now what happened to Tyre? Tyre and Sidon were famous cities. This city was occupying an island one and a half miles offshore. <coughs> and because this was offshore, this city thought that it was invincible because its walls were 100 feet high in some places. It was such an impregnable city that the Assyrian and our captain Shalmanezar besieged it for five years and failed to conquer it. Nebuchadnezzar tried for 13 years unsuccessfully. But Alexander, God's instrument of judgment, using the rubble of the mainland city destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, built a causeway out to the island and destroyed it in seven months, in 334 to 332 BC. What people said, hey, we are pretty strong, nothing is going to happen to us. So if a nation thinks like that, be careful. If a person thinks like that, be careful. God is able to use anybody to bring that person down for his purpose, to fulfill his purpose. Thirdly, the advance through Philistia. Ashkelon will see it and be afraid. Gaza too will writhe in great pain. Also Ekron for our expectation has been confounded. Moreover the king will perish from Gaza and Ashkelon will not be inhabited. And a mongrel race will dwell in Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will remove their blood from their mouth and their detestable things from between their teeth. Look at the images that are used here for the destruction of Philistia. It says this judgment put an end to idolatry for many Philistines. Why? Because when God judged them, the rest of the people turned to the God of Israel. So in this imagery of this verse, you have the nation which is seen as a man with blood in his mouth speaking about eating sacrifices you know, that were given to idols and abomination that was defiling you know, uh, food of uh, idol worship 
these things have been removed okay these pagan customs have been removed and it says basically this is a picture of how the Philistine Philistines will turn to worship the one true God and this is why in verse 7 it says then they also will be a remnant for our God and be like a clan in Judah and Ekron like a Jebusite okay think of those verses the Lord says these who were called as enemies now the Lord is the one who is going to turn their hearts to himself so that they become a part of the remnant now if you look at the whole scenario you have the Jews and the Gentiles Gentiles who are not part of it now have been grafted into the main wine you also see today about nations or individuals who have been hostile to God you know you know who says I don't believe in God they have been out to persecute the Lord says the tables are going to be turned so if God can change the Philistines heart you know God can change anybody's heart you know in the New Testament you have the classic example of Saul a persecutor of the faith nobody in their wildest dreams the early church would have thought that Saul could be converted but it is God who converts people isn't it so don't give up on people don't give up on leaders of the nations whom you are praying for don't give up of your uh, now give up on prayers for your loved ones whom you are praying for nobody is beyond redemption it is God who does the work it is God who does the work okay so the new word that is now coined if you were to say it, you know for the people who have responded from out of this majority the new word is remnant remnant it will be a remnant that will belong to God and that's where you and I fit in as well it is not that the entire Jewish community is going to respond in the last days a remnant will respond it is not that the whole world will turn to Christ it's a remnant that will respond you and I who are part of the body of Christ belong to this remnant you know those who have you know, seen the hand of God maybe in judgment on somebody else and says hey and I don't want to come under that judgment we see what God has done for us and we respond to God and for this remnant the Lord says I'm going to protect you I'm going to protect you verse 8 says but I will camp around my house because of an army because of him who passes by and returns and no oppressor will pass over them anymore for now I have seen with my eyes so look at what the Lord is saying here judgment is going to come on the nations there's going to be a remnant from among that whole group who responds okay and that is also what's going to happen in the last days from among the Jews and also when you're thinking about us today you may say why me but God is the one who has chosen us apart to be in that remnant and the Lord says I'm the one who is going to protect you look at the words that he uses for his protection he says I will camp around my house okay when you think about camping around your house you're saying God is going to protect you you know he is the one who is going to see who all are passing by he is the one who is seeing who are going to oppress you he is keeping watch over us that's a great assurance when the Lord says you know I am going to be your shield 
It doesn't mean there's going to be no oppression. It doesn't mean that there's going to be no problems. But the Lord assures us if we are part of the remnant, He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what the people of the world, no matter what satanic forces try to do, God's kingdom will never, never be destroyed. That's the assurance that God gives to us in these verses. Okay? Then from verses 9 and 10, it speaks about the prophecy of the coming righteous Messiah to reign in peace over the world from Jerusalem. Verse 9, you have the announcement of the coming Messiah. Look at the triumphant rejoicing that comes in over there. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Now, in this verse itself, there is the emphasis of both the comings. You know, rejoice, you daughter of Zion. That's speaking again about the Jewish community. The Lord is coming for his people in his first coming. And then it speaks about, behold, your king is coming to you. You and I who have responded to him that we are his subjects, he is the master, he is our king. The Lord is saying he is coming for his people. So here are two advents that are mentioned over here, two coming back again. The first time paying for our sins, second time to take us to be with himself. So that's a first a brief snapshot of the first coming where it says, you know, about his character that he is just. He is just. And he is endowed with salvation. In other words, he is a just God. He is coming to give salvation to the earth. And how is he going to do it? You know, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, what is this symbolic of? This is symbolic of coming in as a rain, but it's more symbolic also of coming in peace and humility. In those days, the Persians used horses for war. So he's coming to establish peace, not riding on a horse, not out to kill the others to establish peace, because that's the pattern that the world uses. But the Lord says, no, I'm coming to establish peace with uh, a salvation that is offered by virtue of my humility. And that's definitely a picture about his first coming, isn't it? The first coming when he came into this world, nobody knew who he was. Born in a manger, little baby. Nobody would have dreamt that it is the Messiah. And then finally, when he came into Jerusalem, the people thought that he is going to be the Messiah physically established in a, another messianic reign here on earth. And that's why they said, blessed is he that is coming in the name of the Lord. They did not think about a spiritual kingdom whatsoever. That's why a little day, a few days later, they said, the same crowd that shouted, now crowd shouts out saying, crucify him. Because they didn't understand, they didn't understand. But Jesus came into this world for this purpose, endowed with salvation. So, he says, rejoice, you daughter of Zion. Because he came to bring us salvation and he accomplished that task. He accomplished that task. A snapshot of the second coming. If the first coming came on a riding on a donkey, the second coming, how is it going to be? Verse 10, 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea from the river to the ends of the earth okay the second coming is going to be different he is going to come in glory yes he is also going to come establishing his reign when he comes everybody will know it everybody will see it the rapture takes place we are caught up but in the thousand year rule happens everybody knows that hey this is the king of kings ruling on the earth so verses 11 to 17 gives us a picture you know about how this is all going to happen a picture of deliverance and prosperity for the people of god verse 11 says as for you also because of the blood of my covenant with you how are we going to be delivered because of the blood of christ's covenant how are the jews delivered from you know, egypt you know by the blood that was put on the doorpost how are you and i going to be delivered by the blood that was shed for us because of this we have deliverance now if you notice in the old testament as part of the sacrifice there was a sprinkling of blood on the altar which signified the sealing of the covenant in the new testament jesus says this is the blood of the new covenant new covenant in his blood so that is how we get our deliverance this deliverance is not if you were to say like the jews were expecting a physical deliverance this deliverance right now before his coming back again right now when we are living in after christ's death on the cross now we have been set free now we are his children by virtue of christ what christ has done for us now what did christ do for us by his blood that was shed what was the result the result is deliverance from the despair of prison it says in verse 11 second part i have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit now in those days they did not really have uh, prison cells as we have today it was more like you know putting a person into a pit you remember in the case of you know in the book of daniel in the book of you know when you're looking at genesis and in the life of uh, joseph you have this thing about dry wells or pits okay so a person was thrown into this pit you know and as a result he suffered and maybe even died from here so the lord is saying over here people who were prisoners you know in this type of uh, a waterless pit you know is going to be delivered now when you're thinking about this waterless pit okay it is not necessarily you know uh, a physical prison okay when you're speaking about jesus has come to set the prisoners free that does not mean that jesus has come so that there are no more people in prison please release everybody now when you're speaking about setting prisoners free we are speaking about people who are in bondage who are under judgment who have no hope for their future judgment has been passed you know they have been sentenced and is enough that's the penalty for you but the lord says no i'm going to reestablish hope you know where in verse 12 it says return to the stronghold o prisoners who have the hope who have the hope 
we were all prisoners to sin. Christ's death on the cross paid for our you know, punishment. And now the Lord says, you have been set free. We have been set free and as a result, we have a hope. Not just a hope, but the Lord says, I'm going to work on restoration. Such a beautiful thing the Lord does for us, isn't it? It's like paradise lost, paradise regained. That which Adam lost by Jesus' death on the cross, he has regained it for us. That is why the latter part of verse 12 says, This very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you. I will restore double to you. Now when you are speaking about restoration of double here again, remember it is not speaking about uh, uh, financial multiplication or addition or doubling. Okay? This is not the prosperity that is spoken of here. The prosperity, the double thing that is spoken of here is we were slaves to sin. Now we have that double advantage. Not only do we not have to pay for sin, but the very penalty and the power of sin has been destroyed. That is the assurance. That's the double benefit of what Christ has, death has done on the cross for us. We must never forget this. Because oftentimes people think, yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so I can have forgiveness. Yes, we can have forgiveness. But that doesn't mean that you keep on sinning and keep on claiming the, you know, the forgiveness on the cross. No, the death and the resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus has given us power over sin. The same power that resided in the disciples, the same power has been given to us. So that is the double benefit that the Lord is speaking of here. Okay? Then in verses 13 to know, 14, you speak about the deployment of God's people as weapons of God's wrath. Okay? Here now it's speaking about you know, uh, the warfare that will take place finally. And you have a lot of you know, instruments that are mentioned over here. Verse 13 speaks about the bow and the sword. Verse 14 speaks about the arrow. Verse 14 also speaks about you know, the Lord blowing, blowing the trumpet and the marching of the army. You know. Look at all the words where he says, I will bend Judah as my bow. I will fill the bow with Ephraim. I will stir up your sons of Zion against your sons of Greece and I will make you like a warrior sword. Then the Lord will appear, uh, appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will blow his trumpet and will march in the storm winds of the south. And verse 15, the Lord of hosts will defend them, will defend them. This is what's going to happen here. The battle of Armageddon that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. You speak about warfare that will take place. And you speak about how God will defend his people. Small group, remnant, but as the scripture tells us, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, that is what is going to happen in the future. But even when you go through life here today, we are more than conquerors because the Lord says, I will defend them. And in verse 15, the latter part, it says, and they will devour and trample on the sling stones and they will drink and be boisterous as with wine and they will be filled like a sacrificial basin, drenched like the corners of the altar. This is how uh, extreme, if you were to say, the judgment is going to be. They are going to be totally annihilated. Now, people think, you know, who are we? 
we are speaking about the Christians as meek and mild, you know, so we can trample them, nothing will happen, you know. No, no, you know, they may trample upon you today, <laughs> but take heart, one day the Lord is the one who is going to pass that final <laughs> judgment, okay. And then in verse 16 and 17, the Lord says, you and I, as the remnant, as his chosen people, the Lord will delight in us, will delight in us. And the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they are the stones of a crown sparkling in his land, for what comeliness and beauty will be theirs. If you're looking at your life this evening and saying, who am I? Look at these verses. How does God look at us? You know, he says we are his flock. We are like stones on a crown, precious stones on the crown, expensive stones sparkling on his crown. And we are comely and beauty. An image we find in the book of Song of Songs, how God views his children. And this picture gives us an idea why the Lord is jealous for his people. That's what the word has mentioned, isn't it, in the book of Zechariah. He is jealous for his people. He who touches you, touches the apple of his eye. Yes, there may be people who think you can, they can get away with it. Yes, there will be martyrs for the Lord during the time that they are here on earth. But that's not going to be the end. The Lord himself will definitely fight for his people and his kingdom will be established. Then in chapter 10, moving on further, you find in a how God is going to bless his people in contrast with the people who are following after the false teachers. Two things, contrasts that are mentioned over here. Blessing and fruitfulness can come only from God. And you have the imagery of a full rain cloud and an empty rain cloud. When you look up at the clouds and you say it is dark, you're assured it's going to rain. But sometimes it doesn't rain. Okay. You say, hey, what happened to the dark clouds? Hey, that's what, it's a false alarm as it were. And that's the imagery that the Lord uses over here to speak about what is going to happen to these false prophets who are making all types of seductive promises of health and prosperity. Looking at the world today, you may say, hey, the wicked are going unpunished. They seem to be prospering. You look at the false teachers of today. We are speaking about a remnant. They are speaking about large groups. And they are saying, hey, they seem to be in the majority. They don't have any problems. You know, they are, you know, what shall I say, exploiting the people. But God is not doing anything about it. No, no. There is going to be judgment. There is definitely going to be punishment. So first of all, the full rain clouds of divine blessing. Ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain. Remember, it is always appropriate time. It is always the appropriate time to seek blessing from God. The Lord who makes the storm clouds, he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the field to each man. Now, so when you look at people who seem to be prospering. What does the Lord say over here? He says, ask the Lord in due time, in the appointed time to give your blessing, in the appointed time also to send judgment. 
if you notice in the Psalms, you know, this is a, a question that one of the, you know, the Psalmists had. Why are the unrighteous prospering? You know, why are the righteous not prospering? And that Psalm, when he pours out his heart before the Lord, he speaks about how when he entered into the temple, things began to get into place. He knew things from a different perspective. The perspective that he was seeing was earthly and physical and temporal. And the Lord opened his eyes to show him that the blessings of God is not temporal. The blessings of God is eternal. So he says, when you're looking at situations like this, when you're seeing the unrighteous prospering, when you're seeing the false teachers increasing and exploiting people, what do we do? Pray to the Lord, be assured that judgment will come, but also from our side, let's be assured that we see things from a different perspective. Blessings is not the temporal here. Blessings is not the earthly here. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, laid up in heaven. That is what we need to see. And that's what the scripture is saying over here. Ask the Lord in due time to open your eyes to see, what are you really living for? Are you living for earthly blessings? Hey, one day you are going to die, everything is going to be left behind. What's the point? But begin to live for heavenly benefits. Begin to live for that heavenly rewards. What about the empty rain clouds of the false prophets? Okay. They are speaking lies that promote sin. For the teraphim speak iniquity. The teraphim were basically household gods, ranging from small gods to nearly life-sized images. And in our country, we have all sizes and shapes of these gods, isn't it? These were false idols that they were making. But also you have false teachers who have different, different types of idols, you know, popularity, money, position, small ones, big ones, you know, all these becomes as idols and teraphim. Secondly, diviners and the diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. The number of false teachers today who prophesy doesn't come into being, fulfillment. That's a lie. Or they speak about dreams. The Lord said this and the Lord showed that, you know, but not relevant, not of use, you know, nothing in the word. The word has to be the final say in any matter. It is not one person's vision or dream. It is not one person's prophecy about the future. What is in the mentioned in the Bible, that should be our foundation for checking up whether something is true or not. Thirdly, there was a void of faithful shepherding. The reason for these false teachers is because here were people who are sheep without a shepherd. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. Sad position, even when you're looking at today, isn't it? To find genuine, proper, biblical leadership in the church sometimes becomes so very difficult. There are a lot of people who are leaders, who are building their own kingdoms, but not building the kingdom of God. And what happens to the sheep? They go wherever some fodder seems to be coming. Wherever some promises are there, they're willing to go there, thinking, I will get here, I will get here, I will get there. Why? 
because there are no shepherd who is teaching them there are no shepherd who is feeding them and our responsibility especially in the last days when the scripture tells there will be many false teachers our individual responsibility to make sure we are preaching the truth our foundations are firm so that the genuine would be presented in the midst of these false teachings all around us so that they would be able to stay on course they'll be able to stay on course then in verses 3 to 5 we find that victory over our enemies can only come from god can only come from god it is god who gives the victory how does he give it verse 3 say, says my anger is kindled against the shepherds and i will punish the male goats for the lord of hosts has visited his flock the house of judah and will make them like his majestic horse in battle so the lord says i'm a jealous god yes you look at the false shepherds who are not feeding the sheep and you're sitting lord how long no judgment the lord says don't worry you know i'm going to visit i'm going to punish and this is what will happen in the last days there's going to be a, a surprising transformation as it were you know when people are saying it's all fine it's all fine it's all fine but the lord raises up a group who will be able to get the basics back that is why we speak about reformation okay that's what happened in the church early church on track as time went by they digressed totally away and then there was a reformation now again maybe there's a need for a reformation back to the basics <laughs> then you find in verse 4 from them will come the cornerstone here no leadership sheep are going astray the lord says i will bring a cornerstone the cornerstone as the capstone stabilizes a building or some stone structure it is made from the same material as the rest of the building but its position makes it prominent and essential it is the cornerstone from which everything is measured if the cornerstone is not proper in its measurements everything else will be out of shape out of measurement so the cornerstone the capstone is very very important and jesus becomes the cornerstone you're looking for leadership you know leader who has jesus as the center jesus as the cornerstone that is the type of an individual that's the type of a shepherd who will feed the the sheep a person who doesn't have the standards of jesus building his own kingdom that is not a capstone that's not a cornerstone and as a result the people who follow also don't become like jesus but they become like that person remember that's a simple principle isn't it in scripture we become like the gods whom we worship so if there are fan followers if there are people who are just worshiping following all these gurus you become like them but if you say jesus is my capstone jesus is my cornerstone you and i have to become like jesus <laughs> okay then it says from them the tent peg from them the bow of battle from them every ruler all of them together in other words the lord is going to use these people tent peg is something that is used to you know put a, a tent in place so that it is firm unshakable 
That's the imagery that is used for these leaders who have Jesus as the center. From them, the bow of battle. The battle bow is not used anywhere else in the Old Testament as a metaphor for an individual. But here it is likened to Judah as a bow. A bow is used against an enemy. And the Lord says, when an individual has Jesus as the capstone, you and I become powerful tools of leadership against the false teachings of the world. <laughs> okay? And as a result, God transforms us. It says, they will be as mighty men. They will be as mighty men. Why? Because the Lord is the one who is fighting and the victory will happen. The most basic answer to people's need of where the shepherd's gone. The Lord says, you know, you put things in place, make Jesus your cornerstone, then the Lord's presence will definitely be there. And when the Lord's presence is there, verses 14 to 16 gives us some benefits of his presence. It says, treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle, they will fight for the Lord will be with them treading down the enemy the enemy is not the boss you know you're the boss you're the one who is in charge because the one who is in us is far far greater than the one who is in the world so when jesus is our cornerstone he's the one in charge he's the one who's ruling in our lives no enemy can come anywhere close to us because satan is a defeated foe because the lord is the one who will fight. If we are thinking of doing it on our own, you know, then we are in grave, grave trouble. But if we remember that the Lord is the one who is fighting for us, then we are more than conquerors. Okay? And this victory will be against incredible odds. Look at the odds that are mentioned there in that verse. And the riders on horses will be put to shame. You have a picture of foot soldiers defeating the cavalry. You know, this is the type of victory. It's like the odds are stacked against you. You are a minority, but enemy is the majority. But the Lord says, if you're putting Jesus first in your lives, if Jesus is your capstone, then you'll be assured that victory is yours. The riders on horses will be put to shame by those people who are foot soldiers. A foot soldier is a very weak guy when you're thinking about a rider on a horse. But the Lord says, this is what will happen the tables will be turned. We are more than conquerors. So we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. Be strong in the Lord. But remember, Jesus must be the capstone. Then in verses 6 to 12, you have the redemption, you have the regathering, and you have the re-establishing that can come only from God. That can come only from God. He says, I will strengthen them. I will fight for them. It says also, I will strengthen them and if you notice here it speaks about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom coming together it says verse 6 i will strengthen the house of judah which is the southern kingdom and i will save the house of joseph which is the northern kingdom and i will bring them back which is the restoration okay northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms which are separated you know because of the judgment of god now the Lord says, I'm going to bring them back and strengthen them together. You know, 
and that's the assurance that God gives to his people. I will restore. I will bring back. I will resettle. God had rejected them earlier because of their sin. Now, when they have responded back to God, Jesus is the capstone, the cornerstone. The Lord says, I will bring them back. Why? Because I have had compassion on them. And they will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. This is the reason. The Lord says, I am a compassionate God. And this decision that I took on judgment, now that decision is going to be revoked. And that happens even in judgment cases, isn't it? A judgment is passed and then the person is acquitted. You know, somebody steps in. Yeah, the Lord is saying, this is what I'm going to do. You know, Jesus stepped in for us and made the price. We accepted that price that was paid. And the Lord says, now I also have accepted you. I've had compassion on you. And then he says, for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Look at the personal pronouns over here. He says, all this is going to happen because you are now my child. My son, my daughter, you have put Jesus as the capstone. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. You are my child. That's the assurance that God gives to his children. Then in verses 7 and 8, you have you know, mentioned what is going to happen to the remnant, you know, the restored remnant. Number one, strength, for Ephraim will be like a mighty man. Number two, joy, their heart will be as glad as if from wine. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. And number three, numbers, I will whistle for them to gather them together. For I have redeemed them and they will be as numerous as they were before. Okay, These are the benefits the Lord gives to us. He says, you, know, you will have strength. You will have joy and also you will increase as numerous as they were before. Things that have been lost, you have returned to God. The Lord says, I will restore. Okay. Then in verse 9 and 10, it speaks about the providence of the restored remnant. You know, there's going to be a renewed allegiance. When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries and they with their children will live and come back. Okay. This is writing again to the Jewish diaspora that was scattered. You know, they have come back, some are still in Babylon. And then moving further, you have what happened in AD 70, temple is destroyed, people are shifted all over the place. You know. The Lord says, I will get them back. I will get them back. And that he has already done. 1948, nation of Israel has been brought back. These are all part of the signs that the Lord mentions as a future prophecy for his second coming again. <coughs> Verse 10, I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon <coughs> until no room can be found for them. <coughs> and verse 11 and they will pass through the sea of distress he will strike the waves in the sea so that all the depths of the Nile will dry up and the pride of Assyrians will be brought down and the scepter of Egypt will depart there's a pathway that is going to be 
formed for the restored remnant. Similar to Israel crossing the Red Sea, God will remove both geographical and political obstacles to Israel's return for the kingdom of the Messiah. Today we read about Euphrates river drying up. Okay, This is something that the Lord does. There's a drying up that's going to take place so that you know there's going to be land for the final warfare, restoration, his plan. Verse 12, you know, and I will strengthen them in the Lord and in his name they will walk. I will strengthen them and in his name they will walk. Look at you know, the two verbs, if you were to say that I used that. God strengthens us, not so that we can flee away, not so that we can fly away. Sometimes people have that thought, isn't it? Oh, that I had the wings of a bird, I will fly away. Because there's so much of problems in this world. Lord, please come back so that I want to get out from this place. No, no. The Lord says, I will strengthen you so that in his name, you and I will walk. In other words, it's going to be a, a daily experience. Till his coming back again. Just as much as the Lord you know, told the Israelites at that time, you know, put your hands to work now. You know, yes, this is the plan for the future. I've given you a glimpse. So keep working. The Lord tells us even now. The Lord will strengthen us during the time that he has placed us here on earth. Keep walking. Keep walking. Don't take a break. Don't rest. Don't quit. The Lord is the one who is strengthening us, preparing his people, preparing the world for his second coming again. May the Lord find us as individuals who draw strength from him, who don't give in to the pressures of the world, who make Jesus as our capstone, and who are individuals who are daily walking so that when he comes back, or he calls us home, we can hear from him, well done. Let me close with a couple of application questions this evening. Number one, what type of false securities and human dependencies have you been delivered from by the Lord? Look back into your life and ask yourself, what, were you, what was your security? And maybe that security was taken away. And as a result, now you are saying, Lord, no more depending on anything else except the Lord. Or maybe you're thinking about some human individual. They were the ones maybe who brought you to the Lord or led you to the Lord or grew in the Lord. And now maybe they moved on from the world or they moved on from the city. And you're wondering, Lord, what now? And because of that, the Lord has brought you closer to himself. Number two, am I living right now in expectation that the king is coming? Rejoicing in anticipation of his arrival? Are you looking forward rejoicing? That's what the scripture tells us, isn't it? Today when we celebrated you know, Palm Sunday, rejoice, you know, for the king is coming. Is there rejoicing in our hearts, looking forward for his coming? You know? Or are we saying, Lord, not today. I have all these things to be finished. Once all this thing is finished and I have you know, sort of enjoyed this world, then you can come back. No, no. Each day should be lived in anticipation of his coming. Number three. Are we quick to turn to the Lord for blessing and persevere in faith that he will provide what we need? Do we really trust him? Is he a trustworthy God for our needs? Or do we think you know, that no, somehow I have to do it? You know? I'm the one who has to look after all these needs. No, no. 
God is the one who is able to meet our needs. Number four, what are some examples today of false prophets offering false security? What are some examples? There are some people who would say, if you give so much money, you will never fall sick. You know? There are some others who are also saying, if you do this, you will never die. You know? Some false securities people are giving. What are some other false securities that the false teachers are giving today? Number five, are we confident that the Lord is with us in our battles to equip us for victory? In other words, are you aware that the battle that you are going through, you are not alone? But God is fighting for you. He is strengthening you. Think of that imagery. Think of that picture. Never think, oh, I'm all alone in this battle. No, none of us are alone. You know, because God is the one who is fighting for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.